The first four podcasts for this season, it's going to focus on four individuals that I know. They all have very similar backgrounds. They had learning abilities that were different from their peers, different from what the educational system wanted from them, different from maybe what their parents were expecting them to be. The first person we're going to talk with tonight, his name is Sebastian. Sebastian, as we were working with his child, wanted to also share with me his experience of what it was like growing up with very similar behaviors that his child is exhibiting today. He has the ability, I believe, to help parents understand that there is far more to a behavior than what a school says your child is doing. There's far more to behavior than what your family might be saying. There's far more to behavior. Behaviors are communications. Behaviors are telling us something. And I think Sebastian can help you see how his behaviors were trying to tell his family and his school and his world that he had something to say and he wasn't able to do that as a young child. My hope for this podcast is that you'll gain a better understanding of your children, other children or adults whose behavior is different or challenging. My name is Sebastian. I guess I'm a creative. I'm a writer, director, I am an artist, and the reason I guess I'm telling you that is because I see a lot of that in my daughter. I see a lot of that reflection. She's a very spirited child, and, you know, when I see her, I look back upon my my own life as a child, and, you know, one of the big bumps that I had in my life was when I was about, I was in first grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, and it was kind of an odd diagnosis because I was in a Catholic school, very strict Catholic school with some uh, nice and some not so nice nuns. And this was in the eighties and it wasn't, uh, I was far from progressive and I was having trouble sitting still, and if you've ever been to Catholic school, the thing that they do, or at least they did when I was a kid, was they try to take you and put you into a sardine can and fit you into this box um, so that you're just like all the other kids and so that you can be a productive um, member of society. And I didn't fit into that box at all. Um, I, I could barely sit in my desk. and. The principal came to my parents and she said, hey, Sebastian is having a problem. You need to put him on Ritalin or he needs to leave the school. And that was the ultimatum that they gave. And in the 80s, I guess it was the mid 80s, Ritalin was like a new miracle drug. And kids were, uh, all the, it was all the rage. And, and it was a different time. And my parents were hardworking parents, uh, a police officer and a nurse, and, you know, they struggled just to have enough time. And, you know, public school wasn't something that they wanted me going into because they could see me getting just 
pushed into the system, so they wanted to make sure that I stayed in this Catholic school so that I could uh, I wouldn't get put in special ed or anything. So they said, okay, well, let's get him some Ritalin. They took me to the pediatrician, not a psychologist. The pediatrician said, uh, they said, Dr. So-and-so, we want to give Sebastian Ritalin. And the doctor said, okay, here's your Ritalin. And they sent me home with the Ritalin. I began taking the medicine and I took it for, I guess, varying different types of medicine for the next, I guess it would be till I was about 17 years old. So for at least about the next 11 years um, while in school, uh, into high school until I had enough foresight to stop taking the medicine. Um, I, uh, I was very heavily medicated, which led to a lot of other issues, uh, uh, addiction problems and depression issues. But, you know, I, I guess coming back to my daughter, I see that spirit in her and, um, in, in, in raising her, you know, I see the not only the the difficulty of going through a world who wants to put you in a box, but also the the beauty of that. And the thing I remember, I remember most, um, I guess, for parents who are dealing, who have not dealing with, but who have kids that are diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. The thing that I I guess I can recall, I recall one day walking home from school with um, my mom because we walked to school and she picked us up and she noticed there was a drastic change in my temperament and and who I was when I was on the medicine as opposed to who I was when I was off the medicine. And it concerned her and she said, "How how do you feel? How does medicine make you feel? And I remember not being able to get out how I felt and looking back as a child and now having a child, I realized that as a child, children, or at least I didn't have the mechanisms to analyze how, what I was actually going through. So my response was always just like, fine or good. But the flip side of that is I also recommend, or I also remember, um, my art because I've always been an artist and I've always drawn or painted. And I remember when I was taking the medicine, I would be so productive and I would sit there for hours and I would just draw, but everything was per- had to be perfect and inside the lines and, and it had to be, um, it, w- it was, used, you know, the sky would be the right color blue and the grass would be green and the sun would be yellow and everything would be perfect. And, but at the same time, there was a lack of, of soul that was in my work as opposed to when I was not on the medicine. And there's an Italian word called appenimente, which essentially translates to the beauty of a mistake. And I think that sort of, it's the, the organic quality that comes out of art. And I think that can be translated into life and into my experience, which is a penimente is basically if an artist is drawing, say, a figure, say, say uh, a man or a woman sitting on a bench, and he, he or she makes a mistake, and there's a line coming out of the head. Well, now a penimente is turning that line into something else. It becomes a bird or a hat or something else. 
And the difference between when I was medicated and when I was not medicated as an artist was I could not deal with that appenimente. There was, there was a lack of that organic creative flow in my life. And there was also a lack of, I remember feeling the lack of that spark. And I remember having friends who could always tell when I had taken my medicine and when I had not. And it wasn't until I got into high school that I started uh, skipping doses and my high school would require that I would go to the nurse's office and I had to take the medicine. And I remember in high school going out and spitting it in the trash and I would get in trouble. And, um, you know, it was difficult for me in school because, um, with a child like that, especially in, in an age that, not in an age, but in a society that trains you to have standardized testings and fit into this box of what is intelligent, what is smart, what is brilliance, I was considered dumb all my life. And I didn't realize that I was actually how brilliant I was until I got out of high school and got into college. And I had, I remember having my high school guidance counselor tell me that I shouldn't even apply to college. Um, she said, you know, do a trade, join the Marines. And that's what I was going to do. I was going to join the Marines. And out of high school, I said, well, I can't, I can't do this school thing. Um, I can't even sit down to read. And it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone told me, well, you have ADD, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And it wasn't until I got in, I, my dad convinced me, he said, well, try a year of, of community college. I was like, oh, okay. I realized, oh, you can go and I can learn things that I'm interested in. Uh, you know, I remember, I was like, oh, ancient history. This is fascinating. And learning about ancient history. And I just thought it was fascinating. And I remember, oh, I can choose what I want to learn now. And um, I did actually did pretty well in college. And then I got into film school. And from there, I was like, oh, I can actually learn about art and I can create. And from that point on, that's sort of how I sort of found myself and got through um, got out of that box that I had been packed in for a long time. And, and along with that box, there was a lot of, there was a lot of troubles that came from, from the medication that I was taking. When I got into my teens, the, I was so heavily medicated that I couldn't sleep. I was taking Adderall and Dexedrine and Ritalin and all these different medicines. And I was definitely over-medicated and I was a four, remember being a 14-year-old kid and just going to the doctor and they were prescribing me sleeping pills. And I remember going, taking them to the pharmacist and they kept upping my dose and upping my dose. And I remember going to the pharmacist and the pharmacist saying, well, you know, you're a kid and you should not be taking 25 milligrams of Ambien, but the doctor still prescribed it. And and that in turn turned into drug abuse. When you get so used to being medicated, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's just, it's kind of becomes your way of life. And it wasn't, I guess, until I got older and became 
became an adult and fa- found other ways, found found filmmaking and, and art that sort of I was able to channel that energy into something else. Um, and now, you know, it's something that I still feel that exists in me that, that if you want to call it ADD, but I've found ways of sort of channeling that now. As an adult, I found ways through through meditation and yoga to channel that. And the thing growing up that I thought I would never, ever be able to do is sit down at a desk and be a writer. And that was the thing I I couldn't imagine. I remember I couldn't even sit down and write papers. Well, I was writing papers about things I wasn't interested. I didn't care. And then once I realized I can write about things that I want to and I can write any way I want to, that passion and the discipline sort of sparked in me to, to, to actually be able to sit down. And I became the thing that none of my high school teachers would ever imagine that I could have become, which was a writer. Number one. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, I get the privilege of knowing you, but I also get the privilege of knowing uh, your daughter, Maria. And I see it. I see, I see that creative child. And I see her fighting the system and, and doing her thing. And, and you and your wife, Tiffany, have done a, an amazing job helping her to be very mindful and, and understanding of her environment, but also understanding who she is and adapting her world, right, to help her focus and to, um, and, to, and to understand how that works. Sebastian, when you think back to your, um, your childhood and, and your, your time, at, let's just look at the school. If there's anything today that you would want to, the school to really hear what would you really truly want them to understand? I think in speaking about a school, I think I would have to speak to all schools. And I think this system which we've created most schools, I mean, there are fantastic schools out there that, that cater and inspire and, and really find ways to bring out the light in a child and th- however that light shines best. But the type of school that I grew up in, that system that, is, is basically designed to make productive members of society. Um, the thing that I would say is that it needs to shift because it's not just my, my daughter and, you know, I, I was drastically different, but all kids are different. And I think one thing that schools should begin doing is finding ways to cater to the students instead of molding the students to the system. And until, until we do that, we're going to devalue our children because you can't teach a child their value by comparing them. We live in a comparative system, in a comparative society, in a comparative education that says if you get a 95 on this test, you are better than if you get a 65 on this test. Um, and I think, I think education is important, but also the way that we educate children needs to sort of mold to the child. That's the only thing that I guess I would recommend is, is having a more flexible system of education so that 
we can acknowledge what the children need and allow that to shine because some children might be better at art. You know, you could have a child who could be the next Picasso or the next Van Gogh or Monet and they might not be good at math. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think math is a wonderful thing and I think it's really important to teach a well-rounded curriculum but at the same time, if we can find the, the sparks in children and sort of stoke those flames in each child, you're, you're giving a child a gift that they can take out into the world and a confidence that they can take out into the world and spread their light, their fire, their passion. And that, I mean, that, there's no greater success than that. If you're training a child to go out into the world and be successful, there's no greater success than, than training them to find something that they're passionate about and build a life upon that or a career upon that or an education upon that. I just I want to ask one more thing before we finish. You are in the process right now with your, your child, Maria, you and your wife, Tiffany. And Tiffany, if you want to speak here also, you can, but... Sebastian's doing a fine job. You are searching right now. I know, I know the search that you're on is, is finding that school for your child at this moment. What have you found so far in your community? What, what, what are you finding that that's, might work for her in your community? We live in Altadena, and something that I've felt in my touring experiences that schools are becoming a little bit more expansive and what they're providing to children in that they're having spaces that children can go to to literally turn around um, when they're feeling really anxious or unable to focus. I'm finding that there are curriculums where children are given a little bit more independence to um, set their own path of interest of what they want to focus on and learn on. Sebastian and I know that this is going to be very helpful for Maria, and we're very grateful that this is within our community. And I think what's most important as parents um, is the flexibility. And I learned this at a very young age that you really cannot control your child. Your child is their own individual. We are here really to just help guide them, kind of be the guardrails on a freeway and allow them to bounce off of that guardrail. So if we put her in a school system where we feel it's not serving her, having that foresight to try something new or work with the school system to allow that space like Sebastian spoke to where we can create a little bit more individual approaches to certain children. So that is my hope. But there is also so many options from homeschooling to unschooling to charter schools, public schools. I mean, there are just so many, so many opportunities for our children out there. But I think it's really important for parents to be involved in, in the educational system so that we continue to see a change. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you, Tiffany. Everyday Parenting is produced by me, Teresa Wang. The music you hear on our podcast is courtesy of Stephen Morell. If you have a question for Mary Beth and the Everyday Parenting podcast community, please join us on our Facebook group. Just search for Everyday Parenting Group on Facebook. We're also still looking for episode sponsors. Rates begin at just $60 and you'll be reaching out directly to the parents who listen to this podcast. Don't miss our next episode. 
Subscribe wherever you get podcasts and don't forget to take the time out to find us and rate us on iTunes.